0: Epic Mixer, Ooblets and Ninjas, a lawyer's view on exclusivity and messaging. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about a topic which we have talked about throughout 2019 – but also another topic that is adjacent to what we've talked about throughout 2019. And that primary topic is the Epic Game Store, and its continuing push to combat Steam's market share, its ownership of the market of selling digital PC game sales, primarily through the method of grabbing exclusive rights to the sale of certain games. They've been doing this all year. You can look through Virtual Legality. You can see all of the episodes that we have done On the initial announcement of the Epic Game Store, their strategy, which was very apparent really at the start of this year and has continued for months and months and months, and the way people have felt about it. We're going to talk about an announcement yesterday from a smaller independent game called Ooblets that actually is the first time that we see a little bit more of the detail behind at least one way that Epic is striking these deals. I strongly suspect, as a lawyer who works on various exclusive licensing arrangements, on intellectual property licenses, on software contracts of all kinds, that there are different methods that Epic has, depending on what type of game you are trying to get as an exclusive. There is no doubt in my mind that when you're negotiating a contract for something like Ooblets, it's going to look a little bit different, if not a lot different, from when you're negotiating a contract for something like uh, The Division 2, or uh, anything from Ubisoft or Metro Exodus or something that's really uh, has a larger marketing budget, has a larger presence uh, in the video game zeitgeist. But yesterday we got an announcement from the Ublitz team, which is a small independent game, uh, and it said a number of things about what Epic is doing for them, uh, which I think it makes sense to dive into. So as kind of the, the overall setup for this, I've pulled up a Game Daily Biz article. It says, Ublitz developer Glumberland reveals details of Epic Game Store's exclusivity deal. It says, Epic Game Store has secured another exclusive in Glumberland's Harvest Moon meets Pokemon meets Animal Crossing game, Ooblets. And while Ooblets might not be as big a name as Ubisoft's Division 2 or or 4A Games Metro Exodus, the announcement around the exclusivity deal is a powerful statement. Glumberland is a small team comprised of two full-time developers and a few contracted freelancers. In other words, Ooblets is a quintessential indie game. With that comes massive risk and an uphill battle against discoverability concerns, especially on Steam. Discoverability concerns meaning that because there are so many games released, whether it's on Steam or the Switch eStore at this point, that it's easy for good games to get lost. And that's a thing that Steam has been combating for some time now, to limited success, depending on who you talk to. And so... least on the Epic store, you might not have to worry about discoverability issues because they have a a so much smaller, more curated market of games that they're selling, but also because of the terms that they're putting into these agreements. The last statement I want to read from this article, because I do think you should read it if you're at all interested. It's by Mike Futter, who, as those of you who've followed Virtual Legality for a time know, uh, I am regularly a source for in his articles on Game Daily Biz and elsewhere, and I think really does a good job of breaking down some of the legal and business issues in video games. So if you find yourself watching or listening to Virtual Legality, I highly recommend following him and checking out Game Daily Biz. Uh, I will put a link to this article in the description, but the last line I wanted to read to you from it is... In a delightfully irreverent blog post, Glumberland shows little patience for some of the rhetoric around Epic's push for timed exclusives. Now, that means to Mike, the the blog post that they made was delightfully irreverent. And I think that there's something to be said for that. We're going to read it. We're going to look at what they actually said to talk about tone, to talk about messaging, as well as to talk about the anatomy of the Epic Games deal, because I think it's a really interesting part of what these developers are struggling with what epic is struggling with and what in all honesty a lot of different industries and a lot of different companies that maybe aren't even video game or software or technology related but have to have a social media presence have to get tone out there you see this with you know the the snarky wendy's twitter account or things like that where brands are trying to find a place where they can market their services where they can get out there with whatever communications they want to get out there with in a way that they feel best matches either their own personalities or the personalities of the audience they're seeking to attract. That can be read as delightfully irreverent if you're in the mood for it. And if you're in a general agreement with the message that they're trying to present, it can also be taken a number of other ways. Let's take a look at the initial response on Twitter to Ooblet's, uh statement, because I think that's interesting. And that's part of the story. They said, OK, so we did the thing, the thing people get angry about but maybe don't get angry about it. That's their initial statement, which already is you know trying to be a little bit uh, humanizing. is trying to be friendly. Obviously, this is an indie game development studio, so you're not thinking of thousands and thousands of people that are potentially behind this account. This is probably one of the developers themselves. Uh, but you can see, as we scroll down, there are a lot of people that are okay with it, and there are a lot of people that don't like it. One that jumped out to me is, you lied, you lied to your fans right there in the in the... Thread on the Steam forum, Uh, think you're uh, condescending to us, Uh, I respect the hustle, Uh, a nice way to weed out toxic supporters, and this goes on and on and on and on. And I don't necessarily recommend that you just check Twitter accounts for the overall feelings on these kinds of things. Uh, But I do think that if you look at this account, if you look at how this particular statement that we're about to read has been received across social media in very places where it's been discussed, that a lot of folks uh, have trouble with the tone that is struck in this particular message. And we're going to talk about why I think they struck the tone that they did, why it's a dangerous thing to do what they did in the way that they did, uh, and also why I think it could have made sense in the room on the day uh, because I do think one of the things that you struggle with if you are trying to manage these brands, if you are trying to highlight what you think is a very good product that you're going to release out onto a very, very condensed market, a market that can get almost any game that has ever existed at the touch of a button uh, and that Steam or anyone else, including Epic, is going to have a lot of difficulty marketing you need to get your message out there in a specific way. Um, and I'm going to take a step back here to just talk about Hoglaw Law a little bit. Uh, you know, if you have followed me for a while, you might know a bits about my biography or you've checked out my website. Uh, but I was a senior partner. I was an equity partner, full ownership of uh, one of the largest law firms in Michigan. And uh, I had worked there for more than a decade. Uh, really, I think about 11 years. And I'd worked at another big law firm for a couple years before that. Uh, and... Uh, When I got out on my own in 2016, I started Hoag Law, and I was looking at how I wanted to talk about my business, how I wanted to market it. Uh, One of the things that I decided that I definitely didn't want to do is I didn't want to be big law firm light, the big law firm but smaller, to be standardized, to be that way. And I looked at social media. I looked at the various ways that you can market services and goods uh, in the 21st century, and I said to myself, I think one of the things that lawyers can potentially miss out on is adding that dose of humanity to things, adding that dose of personality to the communications that you have. Now, there are other considerations for lawyers. We have a bar association that essentially governs how we can communicate with the public. So you have to be careful. You have to be cognizant of those rules. But outside of that, you can have a Twitter site that, as I do at Hoag Law, can talk about things like virtual legality, can talk about things like contracts and issues that we see in the news, but also talk about the latest Avengers movie and show some of the things that I'm interested in to indicate that I'm not just a lawyer robot and that I am a person and that if you have those same interests, you know, we can talk about those things on social media. So when I look at a statement like this from Ublitz, I think one of the things that they are trying to accomplish is, hey, we're not Ubisoft. We're not Activision. We're not Electronic Arts. You don't need to think of us as this big bad other that just makes things, cranks out video games in a factory somewhere and and puts them on your doorstep. This is actual people. And because this is actual people, we're going to have personalities that shine through in our blog post. To me, as someone that goes through that regularly, that talks about marketing a small law firm in the 21st century, that makes sense. That's laudable. I can understand that impulse. However, Tone is very, very difficult. And if you're not very careful about thinking about the ways that people can interpret the statements that you're making, it's very easy to go too far on tone, to go too far on snarkiness or glibness or hipness or however you want to describe it, and arrive at a place where even if you don't mean it, people can feel condescended to. They can feel that you're not taking their particular issues into account because you're trying to get out in front of them in a way that you think is matching a tone that they can understand and that they might uh, grok to but is not in fact what is ultimately happening so with that all being said obviously it worked for mike at at game daily biz obviously it didn't work for everyone uh let's take a look at how they described what's happening and we can also dive into the business terms that relate to the actual epic contract says everyone kept talking about this epic thing so we thought we'd see what it's all about here's what these epic folks are doing First they teach every kid in the world these obnoxious dances, and now they're offering funding to game developers in exchange for PC exclusivity on their game store. This is exactly what Marx warned us about. Just imagine if other companies got it in their head to offer funding in exchange for exclusives. What'd be next? Game consoles paying for games to be exclusive on their consoles? Netflix paying for exclusive shows? Newspapers paying for exclusive articles? It'd be some sort of late capitalist dystopia. Obviously all tongue-in-cheek, all the statements that they just made are things that actually happen. And so they're trying to set the stage for uh, this thing that is happening at Epic is not so unusual, and maybe you shouldn't flip out about it because all these other things are also happening. Unfortunately, the people that probably don't like Epic Games probably don't like a lot of those things in that list. So it doesn't serve the function that you want it to serve and also makes you start sounding like you're treating this very glibly and not very seriously. So you've got those two kind of tonal messaging issues Right from the get-go. And again, when I talk about this, as you know, if you follow virtual legality, I'm someone that's generally in favor of the Epic Game Store existing. I don't necessarily love their exclusive strategy, but I'm generally in favor of someone trying to crack that nut of Steam having such a high percentage of interest in the marketplace. And so I think it's useful from my perspective to have these kinds of things happen. However... I also understand from a tonal perspective, from dealing with crisis messaging, from talking with PR folks, and sometimes handling clients' public relations nightmares, that you have to be cognizant of what the other side would be perceiving these statements as doing. So they say, okay, so goofing aside, hey, we don't mean that glibness. We're just having fun. Yes, we've signed with Epic for PC launch exclusivity. It's incredible news for us, and I'm hoping you all can be excited about it too, We asked Epic if we could talk frankly about the situation, and they were like, whatever. So here's a bit of insight into what this all means and why we did it. Who is Epic and what are you talking about? Epic makes Fortnite. EGS is a PC game distribution platform. Epic paying for PC exclusives has become the latest thing gamers' trademark have gotten angry about, which I'll talk more about a bit further down. So again, in that third bullet, you have them essentially saying implying the, the statement that this is just the latest outrage machine and gamers shouldn't really be concerned about this. And so we're going to essentially push that aside and tell you why it shouldn't matter to you. And that's exactly what this statement winds up doing, which is fine. I don't necessarily disagree with the overall thrust. I do think Epic Games is one of those types of things that people do get outraged about maybe a little bit more than they need to. However, if you tell people they're wrong about being how they feel, you're going to get a little bit of pushback, which is what Ooblets has experienced on this right now. It says, what it means for Ooblets. Ooblets will be launching on PC through EGS. We won't be selling the game on other PC stores for a pretty long while. That's the exclusivity bit. We've seen or we've heard discussed that the Epic uh, exclusivity is right now scheduled for about a year. That could be different for depending on what kind of size of game you have, what kind of leverage you had in the negotiation of the contract with Epic. We'll still be launching on Xbox One. The Epic stuff is only for PC, We got some cash money up front from the deal, so we can make the game we always wanted to with fewer compromises. What it means for you, you'll have to install EGS if you want to buy Ublitz on PC. I know that's asking a lot, but I believe in you and your ability to download a free thing and create a user account. So, right. Again, it's one of those things where... Yes, I tend to agree. We've talked about it in virtual legality that if you're seeking a court action about Epic and Steam or something along those lines, you're not going to have a situation where the court is likely to back you up on this other free downloader being a significant amount of damages. We talked about that in reference to Shenmue 3 and the fact that they would be releasing on Epic instead of Steam, which was implied in certain of their email correspondence as part of their Kickstarter program. So I agree. I understand what you're saying here, Ooblets, But this makes it sound like if you do have a legitimate concern and you're out there in the world and you even know what Ublitz is and you have a concern about Epic because you don't like that it's got Chinese investment, you don't like that it doesn't have all the customer-facing support options that you've grown to expect from Steam, whatever it is, whatever the reason that you don't like Epic, you just hate how Tim Sweeney dresses, that's all being pushed aside for the fact that, hey, you can click on this other button, even if you don't want to support Epic. And, hey... I don't have a problem with it, but I respect and understand that people do, and so if I'm selling a video game to people in this audience, this is not the kind of tone that I would seek to strike, even though I know that you are probably a relatively snarky person, and this might play out better in the room. If you're sitting in front of me at a dinner table, and we're talking about this, and you're making these kinds of jokes, probably that's working better. When you put it on this format, when you put it in an email to a client, when you put it in writing, it is tends to have the most significant negative ramifications that you can fashion out of these kinds of messages because people that aren't on your side that aren't sitting in front of you that can't see the the twinkle in your eye or the smile on your face interpret this as saying hey you're making fun of the concerns that i have why did we do this so we had a big decision to make and we didn't take it lightly because epic doesn't yet have the same market share as their competitors They offered us a minimum guarantee on sales that would match what we'd be wanting to earn if we were just selling Ooblets across all the stores. That is the significant portion of this from a virtual legality, from a legal and business perspective. We've long been trying to figure out exactly what Epic was offering to these folks for exclusives and one of the things that seemed the most obvious the most normal for a license of this type is a minimum guarantee contract which basically says we can combine the statement that they said above that they got cash money up front to assume that probably the minimum guarantee is in advance but we're going to talk about the difference in just a second basically a minimum guarantee says all right what are the units that you'd want to sell? What is your what is your green light amount that you'd want to sell if you were just selling without any of these exclusivity deals so that you would have enough money to justify the fact that you spent years making this, that you could pay your people, that you could take a small amount of profit? What is that number? And then basically what the company that's trying to sign you to an exclusive says is, okay, we promise you you'll get that number. And you can do that in advance. You can essentially say, okay, that number is X. All right, we'll give you that number right now as if you had sold the units And then you go out, you sell your games, and then you basically don't get paid what would be your standard cut of those sales until you would have gotten that money that we've already paid you. And there's other ways to formulate that. It could be the cut of the money that you would have gotten straight through us. It could be the gross revenues to the publisher. It really depends on your leverage and a whole bunch of math and things that we don't need to get into right now. That's why you pay a lawyer to negotiate these contracts for you. But if you do it in advance, that's what it looks like. You're going to sell a bunch of these units. We're not going to pay you until you hit X amount. The other way to do it is in arrears, which says, hey, what do you need to do? What do you really need to make to make this work for you? We know we have a smaller install base. And what we could do is we could say, we promise you, you'll make at least $500,000 on this game. And you say, okay, great. And so then you go out and you sell and you still get your normal cut, whatever your licensing arrangement is with Epic, that 12%, potentially the 5% back for using Unreal 4. I don't know what Ublitz uses, but you get your cut of the revenues. And then if you come up short because Epic has that smaller base, then Epic says, "Okay, you know, show us your numbers. Obviously, on a digital platform, you actually don't need to go through that uh, arduous of a process and we'll make it right. We will give you an extra amount of money to get you up to that number. So you have to pick a date, uh, probably the first year something along those lines. And then we will give you the difference if you didn't get to that number on our audience base only. That's in arrears. And. You can do in arrears with an advance payment, an advance against essentially royalties, uh, even though uh, royalties is really towards Epic. Anyway, it doesn't matter in terms of the way we describe this. You can do it anyway, but what's important about this is that the company, the developer is assured a certain amount of money. And with that assurance... That's really one thing that's very, very, very important to anybody that's operating in a volatile industry that doesn't know their operational chances of success. If you can get that assurance, I don't blame any single company for saying, yes, Epic will take that money. I can blame them for the messaging. I can blame them for how they describe it here. I can blame them for what. People they offend when they when they frame the question this way. But if you're an independent developer, as the, the Game Daily Biz article says in its opening, if you can get that certainty, that budget certainty, and not have to worry about it, that is something that is of extreme value to you. And so if you can get that and you're happy with it, I don't blame a single company for taking the deal. I can You can blame Epic for offering the deal and coming in here and doing all these exclusives as their strategy. There's a whole number of other things you can talk about, but I don't blame the company for taking the deal. And now that we know that minimum guarantees is the way that they're framing at least the smaller company deals, a whole lot of what has happened in the last eight months makes a lot of sense. Why they're getting so much traction from so many game developers is that it's almost impossible to turn down if you get a high enough number. And that's part of the negotiation, right? They say wanting to earn that's part of it it's like you say all right i wanted to earn a million and epic's like really was it really a million that you wanted to earn you say all right we could live with five hundred thousand. and that's part of the negotiation and if epic is generous enough if they're willing to let you have a high enough number that is secured then you can really make out like a bandit if you're if you're a game developer because maybe you were never going to get to that level but epic is going to make it right you're going to have that security you're going to be able to make your second game and stay in the video game industry Uh, Which is one of the reasons I think that Epic being vilified for these things is maybe not entirely appropriate, is that it does seem that they are solidifying, they are stabilizing certain portions of the game community, like the folks that are making Ooblets, that might otherwise have failed and have to go back to whatever careers they had before they started making video games. Continuing with their statement, that takes a huge burden of uncertainty off of us because now we know that no matter what... The game won't fail, and we won't be forced to move back in with our parents. But we do love and appreciate you, parents. Now we can just focus on making the game without worrying about keeping the lights on. The upfront money they have provided means we'll be able to afford more help and resources to start ramping up production and doing some cooler things. So when a coming out, we can skip angry at Epic at us, the world, We're aware of the backlash that's been hitting games that sign up with Epic. I don't expect much of our uniquely lovely community to fit into this weird anti-Epic contingent, but I figured I'd share our thoughts and have an open conversation about the issues. I've read through all the arguments against Epic, and they all basically come down to a couple core issues. EGS doesn't have as many features as other stores basically their answer and we'll skip it because i do think it's worthwhile to read it in its full context rather than with solely my voice is that that's how software works it takes a while to get features i agree with that but it doesn't mean a consumer necessarily has to take it into account on day one if they don't have the same features you know come back to me when you've got the features i don't have to buy a car from a new car manufacturer that doesn't have the same features for the same price Uh, as the other car manufacturer solely because they're new and they're not up and running with all the features that they could get. Come back to me in a couple of years when you have the car that I want. It's anti-consumer to have exclusives. This is the most common complaint about Epic, but I don't think people have really thought it through. So that might be legitimate. That might be entirely what this person that drafted this blog post thinks is that people haven't thought it through. And they're going to have some explanations here. I do think it verges on snarky when we get to the language that they use, but you have to be careful with this again, right? There are certainly people out there in the world that think that they have thought entirely what the implications of the Epic Game Store are and have spent a considerable a considerable amount of time thinking and talking about it, whether it's on Reset Era or NeoGAF or Reddit or wherever it is that they're talking about these issues. And so, again, if we're just looking at this and I was in charge and I was their counsel and I was saying, all right, let's see if we can make this a little bit more tonally uh, nice to the folks that are going to be reading it, This is one of those lines that I would probably just pull out. It doesn't do anything, uh, and so you can just get immediately into your description. I can understand the frustration of having to buy different consoles to play the games you want, but there's no extra cost to using EGS. The store and launcher just require a free sign-up. It's not like having to pay for HBO and Netflix and Hulu to watch all the shows you want. It's more like just having to press a button on your remote to change between free TV channels. It's true. It's also really disappointing to see folks threatening to pirate a game just because they can't get it on the game launcher they're used to feeling like you're owed the product of another pre- people's work on your terms or else you'll steal it is the epitome of the word entitlement that people use to discuss immature toxic gamers again we have a kind of digression here right we're talking about epic and it's not okay to have exclusives and then you start talking about pirating things which hey there is nobody on earth that's more against piracy than a corporate attorney that negotiates intellectual property licenses okay i am a 100 against piracy i think it helps kill certain segments of the industry i'm A 1,000% against it. That doesn't mean that people that don't like EGS don't have potentially good arguments for wanting to avoid its use. I get the appeal of wanting to seek out things to get angry about. Venting anger is cathartic and natural, but let's have just a little perspective about what we can decide to get angry about. And then here are a few suggestions. They say climate change, human rights abuses, the new Twitter desktop UI, and the last season of Game of Thrones. So this is what I would describe as a kind of faulty comparison, right? This is, uh, you didn't eat your dinner And you have to eat your dinner because there are starving children somewhere in the world. And that doesn't make any sense. You can't be angry about Epic Game Store. You can't be angry about its exclusive strategy or Tim Sweeney's locution uh, or the Chinese investment or whatever else that you might be getting angry about because it is uh, not something that is at the highest level of things that are a problem in the world. That's not going to work out, right? And you put a joke in here that says the last season of Game of Thrones, but people are angry about the last season of Game of Thrones. Lord knows I did six full postmortem episodes, check them out on my channel, about Game of Thrones, and you can slowly see me descend into madness as the six episodes continue on. It's worth your time. Uh, But I was angry about it. People are angry about it. It doesn't mean that because there are worse atrocities in the world that people can't be angry about it. What a way to live that would be. And again, you see it as a kind of sleight of hand if you've got these concerns about Epic, you know, you shouldn't be talking about pirating it. And we understand that people just like to get angry about things. It's like, okay, but that doesn't really address the issue about why people are getting upset at Epic. And that's really the end of their article. Uh, And we can, we can dive into it further, but I would recommend checking it out uh, on your own uh, because that kind of tone that they struck really was, I think, part of the issue. If you go back in virtual legality you can find a a video that discusses the different ways in which Activision and Electronic Arts discussed their layoffs and in which Anthem and Electronic Arts and Nintendo discussed issues that they were having with their relative products. In that case, Anthem and Metroid Prime 4. Those are two good videos I really recommend checking out if you're interested at all in messaging that kind of highlight the differences that I'm talking about, highlight different ways to talk about these issues. And we're going to get to Oh, uh, a exclusivity deal that I think was handled much better right after we mentioned our friend, Jason Schreier over at Kotaku who put up a tweet, not a half hour before I started prepping for this video that says in the last few weeks, I've actually talked to two different indie devs whose deals with Epic ensure that no matter how many copies they sell, they'll at least break even a rare bit of stability in a volatile industry. But Oh no, gamers have to use a store with fewer features and I have a comment in here. I I say it's a multifaceted discussion with developer, publisher, and consumer side arguments. And it's worthwhile to take the developer side into account. That's what we're doing here on Virtual Legality. That's why we're discussing why it might make sense for Ooblets to enter into this deal and why I think it entirely makes sense for them to enter into the deal. But that the actual messaging matters, much like it matters here with Jason's tweet. But, oh no, gamers have to use a store with fewer features is... Wildly developer side and not consumer side which is fine if you want to be a developer a profit a developer uh, Evangelical that's fine, but it's worth noting that for the most part the world the bulk of the world is not developing video games They're not publishing video games. They are consuming slash buying video games to the extent they are involved with the gaming industry at all so from the perspective of the video game consumer if the price is the same and You're not letting me get it where I have trading cards or I have forums or I have a friend list or I have whatever else it is that I love about Steam, then you're just offering me something of lesser value. And if you want to be snarky about it, that's fine. But you should understand that if I'm getting lesser value for the money that I'm spending, I'm allowed to feel like I got less value. I'm allowed to feel a little bit wrong about that complain a little bit about it and i think if you're the developers what you want to do is you want to communicate much more strongly this first point that jason makes and that Ublitz makes in their development post which is to say hey this is helping us make another game this is helping us make this game better this is going to make this product better and is going to help us stay in video games and not go into biomedical software or whatever else we might be doing so Try to get on board with that process, even though we know at a kind of marginal level, you're not going to get the forums you want. You're not going to get whatever it is that you love about Steam if you come over here to be on the consumer side while also advocating for your developer position. Because I think this kind of snarkiness, and hey, it's Twitter. I know it's a snarky platform, and I know this is how people interact. This kind of snarkiness tends to create sides, tends to create polarization. You're either on the developer side or the consumer side. And I think consumers of the video game industry generally want to be On the same side, I've got a post here, which you can find if you look at this Jason Schreier tweet after you check out Virtual Legality, where I say, hey, look, I've been buying games day one for years, basically ever since I wound up having any money at all. And I do that not because I think it's a smart investment. In fact, I know that you can get that same game for probably half off within a couple months. I do it. I buy it on day one because I want to show support for the industry, because I want that money to filter through the developers and the publishers and everybody else involved, because I I enjoy this hobby so much. I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy having a book of business that involves it. I enjoy sponsoring a podcast like the Easy Allies that talks about it and that really, I think, helps grow love of this thing that has been such a big part of my life. But I don't think that you have to feel that way. I don't think that you should just be uh, called to help developers solely because you love the video game development industry any more than I think you should have to go see Lion King because that's going to help put more money in Disney's pockets to make another movie. Okay, so I, I really do think when you have that level of snark, it tends to ostracize more than bring people into your into your commentary. And if I were advising Jason, I'd say, hey, you don't need it in this particular issue. You've got a good point. Just drop the snarkiness. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm sure Jason's not going to watch this virtual legality. And, and so that's going to continue on. And I think it's a, it's a problem because it does tend to polarize people. And it does tend to make fe- people that have these issues that feel like they're getting that lesser value or just don't want Epic Game Store on their system to feel like nobody's even considering their perspective. And I think more people could do that. The last thing I wanted to say on this video was talking about exclusivity that I think was hand- handled better. Yesterday, a bomb was dropped. Ninja, if you're not familiar, is a very, very, very prominent Fortnite player. He's been on ESPN. I think he's been on a couple of magazine covers. He's got, this is listed on Engadget here, is 14.7 million followers. He is leaving Twitch, uh, which is Amazon's streaming service, and he's leaving it for Mixer, which is Microsoft's streaming service. You say, well, why is Microsoft doing that? They're spending money on Ninja. What are they doing? Mixer has something like 1% of twitch's streaming time Uh, and so they're looking to say we're going to get an exclusive we're going to sign somebody up we're going to take it away from twitch and we're going to put it only on mixer so that you have to come to mixer if you're a big fan of ninjas and i talked about this on social media yesterday i think it's a big risk for ninja i I think it is the kind of thing that if you're in all interested in sports you think about the, the late 90s the early 2000s When the NHL left ESPN, which was the worldwide leader in sports, as they are so fond of telling us, to go to the Outdoor Living Network, which would eventually be Versus, and I think it's now NBC Sports, uh, they lost a lot of fans. They lost a lot of people that were regularly watching their content because they were trying to build up this other channel. They were negotiating for that money from that channel, but there were fewer people to watch them over there so just like ninja going to mixer just like ublit's going to epic and everybody else that goes to epic you have this smaller base because the the channel the the content producer the publisher that is trying to get eyeballs over to it is willing to pay this money to bring people with existing fan bases over but they don't have those fan bases to start out with and so ninja moving over could have been a big deal and i'm sure there are some people on social media that are angry with what he decided to do but i am not seeing it to the same extent that I saw it with UBlitz, and you can see why. Here is the actual press release that his public relations people or Microsoft's public relations people re- released. It says, gaming superstar Tyler Ninja Blevins announced he is teaming up with Microsoft's interactive live streaming service Mixer to stream games and video exclusively on Mixer. A renowned personality with more than 40 million fans worldwide, Ninja began his streaming career eight years ago as a Halo player, note the references to Halo from Microsoft, before turning into a cultural phenomenon best known for playing Fortnite. I never would have thought that I could build a career by doing what I love, and I am extremely grateful for the incredible experiences that I've had. As I look at the next step in my career, achieving bigger goals in the gaming industry with Mixer will allow me to have the perfect balance of opportunities and success. My roots as a gamer started with Halo, so working with Microsoft and coming over to Mixer felt like a natural next step, capturing all the great moments in gaming and sharing in the wins and losses with a positive community-focused environment that we can all be proud of. That's why I'm here. Then they go on to sell Mixer a little bit. But the point of that statement, if you look at that, if you break that down, is all about, hey... If you love me, if you love Ninja, I think this is going to help our community. I think this is going to make it even better for you to watch me. I think Mixer is a good place for me to land. Obviously, obviously, he got paid an enormous amount of money to move from Twitch to Mixer. That is understood. Everybody that follows these kinds of things understands that. But he's not snarky about it. He's not saying, hey, it's just another button on your desktop. Why would you even care? He's saying, here's why I did it. Here's why I think it makes sense. I love Halo which is their product which is also very helpful to Microsoft in that statement and so that's why I'm doing it it's a very positive statement obviously this goes through a PR firm this goes through a law firm you can see them all referenced at the bottom of this of the, the bottom of this statement that's what happens and I can totally understand people that get bored with these kinds of things that are so polished to a sheen to say hey we want to see more of that humanity but I think the Ooblitz case is a great reason for why sharing that humanity, if you're not careful about it, can often be more damaging than helpful. And so I think when you get this polish, when you have public relations helping work for you, helping make sure that the messaging that you want to get out there is received by your community, by the people that are going to be reading it and reading news stories about it, that they are gonna receive it in the best light possible. PR actually does perform a very good service. Law firms that help you work on communications really do perform a very good service. And even independent developers, when you're talking about something as kind of sensitive as Epic Game Store, should probably consider, if not having a lawyer or a public relations firm vet their statements, if you're gonna have a statement like Hooblets, have your parents look at it. Have family and friends look at it. Have somebody else who isn't invested in your decision-making, who isn't invested maybe even in the game space, look at it. How are you gonna read this? How are you gonna perceive this? And if you do that, I think you might be a little bit better off. Uh, And so that's been Virtual Legality for today. If this is your first episode, we got a lot of subscribers in the last week from talking about Colin Moriarty and PAX West and the issues that they had with getting a Sacred Symbols live performance over there. If you're new here, this is what we do almost every other day. At this point, we do a couple of these a week at minimum. And we talk about video games, we talk about the law and business of video games, we talk about the law and business of information technology, the various social media giants, the laws and legislators that are trying to change things uh, for the better, I think, in their minds, although we're finding a lot of problem with the bills that they are proposing, various other regulations, how people are treating gambling in the UK and the United States. We think it's a lot of fun on this channel. We're very happy to have you here. If you like this video, please like, please subscribe, please share it with anybody that you might would find it interesting, whether it's on Reddit or NeoGAF or Reset Era or wherever else you might go where I can't generally get to because I'm otherwise doing law, please share it over there. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you caught this on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And if you could review it on that podcast service and maybe leave a comment, that does a lot of good for us to spread the word about virtual legality as well. Also, if you want to leave a comment to the video uh, here, we love having those conversations with folks. We try to reply to as many as we can, even if you think I'm an idiot, even if you think I'm wrong. I love to have those conversations as well, because reasonable disagreement is the spice of life. That's how we learn. That's how we grow, and that's how we really learn more about each other in the world. So thank you so much for watching or listening, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.